0: Welcome to the Rethinking Revenue Podcast, where CEOs, revenue leaders, investors, and go-to-market experts share hard-fought lessons of success and failure as they've prepared their businesses to evolve beyond the status quo. Now, let's meet your co-hosts, Ed Porter and James Roris. Ed is a fractional chief revenue officer and founder of Blue Chip CRO. He helps CEOs fix revenue problems inside marketing, sales, and customer success teams. James is a CRO's secret weapon. Creator of Wins Selling, he helps revenue leaders simplify sales success by developing cross-functional go-to-market teams and establishing certified sales pipelines. Thanks for tuning in. Enjoy the show.
1: All right. We are here for another day, another episode, another guest. So we're uh, excited to, to bring Patrick Nora on, the CEO of Boonidam. And with me as always is my friend, colleague, cigar smoker, bourbon whiskey, scotch drinker, James Rores. Jimmy,
0: good you to, give to you. see you. Good to see you giving away all my vices, man, in one on show. <laughs>
1: I know. It's looking outside. I was telling Patrick earlier, looking outside, it's a beautiful day in the 50s. It's nice to be outside. This is one of those days as we're encroaching on the winter that yeah. we embrace these days. So I'm in a mood. I'm in a mood today. <laughs> 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 so Patrick, thank you for coming on. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about you, the company, and, and uh, some of the customers that you serve?
2: Sure. Well, first of all, it's great to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Second of all, I feel a little bit robbed because doing this remotely after that introduction of James, I'd much rather be sitting around (laughs) a table with you with the bourbon in hand, but (laughs) um, I'll have to get over that. So uh, the company is Bonadam and it's a it's a Dutch based business. And uh, actually this year, very unique. We're celebrating our 150th year uh, in operation. So it all traces back to a small carpentry shop woodworker shop in amsterdam in holland and uh was a family business that eventually uh went through a few generations was sold to our current family of ownership the hubert family and uh the original owner of the company was garrett boone and so when the hubert company took over they kept that that bone name to to pay homage to the the original owner and they moved the, the headquarters at that time from Amsterdam to Adom in Holland. and so that's where the Adom comes from. So our name is Bone Adam. Hey. And we are a we're one of the leaders in producing revolving doors and security doors and security turnstiles and optical turnstiles really ac- across the globe. And the, what's kind of unique about that is it's fun. We get to play in almost every other market there that exists out there. So we have a lot of customers in manufacturing and banking, warehousing and third-party logistics, data centers, government and military installations, restaurants, hotels, really uh, anywhere you have a place of business that has an entryway, we have a place of business. Um, And and then it just kind of ranges for what the security needs are the customer, what they're trying
1: to accomplish with the entryway. So you're so you're to blame for the automatic sensors and the revolving doors where people run into the glass. (laughs) No, the the sensors are there to keep you from running into the glass. That must be a competitor's
2: product you're talking about.
1: (laughs) I I like watching people sometimes because they don't know how it works, and somebody stops while in there, and it stops the door, and other people just keep walking. It's like, ugh. Come on! <laughs> but well, anyway, you know, every and, time I see that, I'm definitely
2: going to be be thinking of you. <laughs> <laughs> well, good deal. There's, a, you know, there's a. It's interesting because security uh, doors. When you're dealing with those products, it's a it's a trained door. So the people who are interacting with that door get some training. They understand how to function it. When you're talking about a revolving door, it's the general public that has to interact with that. So it, it is. It's really interesting how many more. Um, security measures we have to build into the door just to make sure that the, we're keeping people safe. Yeah,
0: mm-hmm. I love the uh, I love the connection between entryway and security. Can you share? Uh, and that 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 sh- that sounds like potentially a, a a shift in thinking about revenue. Um, when did that shift in the in the business occur for Bonitim, uh in terms of moving from entryways to secure to secure entryways?
2: Yeah the. Really, that drive started more from the United States, even though we're a Dutch based business, the security aspect, uh, I think the United States leads the way in security um, for a number of reasons. I mean, I think our country grew up with uh, the public being armed and, and that naturally creates different situations that in other countries where that's kind of not a, the, the norm that they don't deal with on a daily basis. So for those aspects, I think we, we kind of lead the way in security um so that started from here um there's always been a need for for doors not just for trafficking of people but for a revolving door one of the reasons the benefit is there is for energy savings and a lot of people don't realize that um, a, a revolving door is always closed and always open. So, so your, your entryway is always sealed, even though there's a vestibule going around that's allowing people to come in. So the, the energy loss in, in whether you're heating or cooling, um, is tremendous when you're not opening a door and all of that energy is is pouring out of your building. So that was a big concern and that's where the revolving door comes into play. And then obviously the thought comes for not only saving money and people flow but how do we make sure only the right people are coming in and what are we protecting on the other side of that door and that's where the security doors uh come up and it's really we talk about detect deter and prevent um so are it's really based on customer need are they looking for a deterrent something that looks like it's going to be difficult to get through. And so that's going to deter me from trying here. I'm going to go to the next building because this one looks difficult because they have this this uh, this um, security product that I don't think I'll be able to get through. That's deterrent. Um, detection is not going to stop someone physically, but it's going to let you know, it's going to notify you that someone just got through who was not authorized. And then so you'd basically need a guard at the other end of that to react to that that notification. And then the prevent side is, taking the guard out of the picture and saying this product will not allow entry to people Mm -hmm. who are not, you know, validated as, as having access. Yeah. I don't know if that answers your
0: question. No, it's good stuff. And I think the reason it's important is again, speaking to this concept of revenue is that um, it really creates a ton of diverse environments within which you can sell, install, deliver your, your products. Uh, So that could be a good thing in terms of, looking at a market, the potential of a market, but it can also be, I can imagine quite a challenge in terms of developing a branding and marketing strategy, then fielding sales team, distributors, et cetera, to, to handle all that. Um, am I, am I on the right track? You're, you're completely How do you on the that? right track.
2: <laughs> well, you know what, I'm gonna, I'm going to, uh, just, uh, claim that I have a great team. So, uh, <laughs> on this, you're, but you're absolutely right. So my, my background is around manufacturing. I've always been around manufacturing. In fact, before I became the president of, of the the whole America's business, I was just leading the manufacturing side of the business here in the United States. And so the commercial side now, since June taking over the entire business, the commercial side is blossoming to me. That's, that's where I'm doing a lot of my learning. And, and one of, it's exactly what you're saying. One of the biggest mind-blowing, um, Things that I've learned is as I've talked to a lot of different customers and met them at, at different events and, and in their places of business, it occurs to me that we meet customers at a hundred different places. Um, we have we're normally obviously speaking with security professionals within these businesses who are responsible for for that part of the environment of the business, and some of them are. Struggling to convince a uh, senior leadership team of, of the importance of um, securing the building. And uh, some of them are in, in charge of security for multi facilities, but they have a budget. They have to get approved at each one of the facilities. And some, so every customer is in a different situation. So, what we have to show up with and, and how do we help them with their unique challenge is different every single time we show up. Um, so like you said, it is very difficult. You can't just, you can't just market to, this is the situation that all of our customers are facing and, and here's, what's going to appeal to them. It's really more meeting them where they are, making sure we understand what they need and how can we plug in and help them no matter what their goal is. And I know James, you, you talk a lot about that is connecting with the need, not just showing up with, well, here, let me sell you this, this widget because, um, you know, James, you, you've plugged in with our sales group for many years and, and helping us connect with our customers that way. And it's really beneficial based on the market we serve, like you said, because each customer is in a different place.
0: And what you sell is a very emotional thing, right? So we, we f- definitely focus on needs. And on top of that, we think about the wants and impacts that that organization that define the organization's problem. And when you start talking about security or securing a data center or securing uh, a, a school or a bank, Especially in even though it's been over twenty years, you know since nine eleven, just the the heightened focus on vigilance and security, that is something that uh, so that's a challenge that um it it's always going to be with us.
2: it is. and And the benefit we have is as we gain experience and we deal with multiple customers in those different verticals we that you mentioned, like the data center, the warehousing, is we gain a little bit of expertise or at least, enough knowledge to be a trusted partner in in uh, guiding a customer to what the solution is going to be that can meet their needs um, and how we play into a larger security ecosystem because there's not only our entrance ways but there's cameras and glass and and facade and there's a whole lot that has to be taken into consideration and we play one part in that but uh, we have to fit in and, and play well with with the, with all the other aspects as well.
1: Yeah, the complexity is is there in a couple of different arenas. You know, not only the product set, but of course where you're going and what you know the purpose of a door. But exactly like exactly what you said is you know sometimes you don't think about it. Is it to prevent people from coming in? Is it making it accessible for people to come in? There's a lot of different use cases there. And with your background here at this company, coming from manufacturing now into the Americas and on, on the full commercial side, is you know how do you how do you take a relatively universal product, but apply it to something specific. So I think that kind of is a good segue into what we're, wh- why why we thought it would make sense to have you on the podcast to talk about this is uh, it's Rethinking Revenue is our podcast. We're, we're constantly right. thinking about how to do things differently. So when you think about this world where you're selling, let's call it a universal, it, it, I'm sure there's differences, but a universal building infrastructure there, how do you <clears throat> how do you think about taking something like that, applying it into many use cases, and how have you had to think through this channel differently or the, these different outlets for accessibility, for security, for whatever the case may be? How have you had to rethink about the revenue, the, the market, the customers to kind of take back to a time where you can't just do things like you did yesterday? Yeah. Well, I
2: would, I would point two things out. And the, the first is we... Okay we have to get involved. So, so like I said, we kind of play a part in the ecosystem. Like you said, it's a complex structure and how do we, how do we play in that and, and do that? Well, I just, is just developing relationships with the other, the other companies that are gonna also play a part in that, the ultimate solution that the customer needs. Um, so it's it's getting to know the different technologies that are out there, getting to know the different partners, working with them proactively to say, how can we integrate our products together so they work well for our, cust- our shared customer. Um, and then obviously with uh, technology products such as these, there's also a software aspect. So the security uh, software systems that really take signals or really is the brain that process all the information coming in and then tell all the different parts of the security system, this is how I want you to react based on what, what just happened really partnering with them as well. And there's a lot of different players there, but it's, it's just being open and and transparent, sitting down and talking with the different players and, and making sure that if, if we come together and understand each other and what part we play, it's not uh, it's, it's not, it's not a fearful conversation of, well, we're, we're, we're opening them up to what we do. It's really a, it's a confidence boosting conversation we have of saying, Hey, if we can make sure that our products work well together and that we're sharing what we're developing and what you're developing, that just means that we can give the customer ultimately something that works well together. And if if we don't do that, then we're all going to fall down for this customer and no one wants that to happen. The other thing that came to mind is you mentioned that I come from the manufacturing side. Usually you'll have, uh, at least in manufacturing, when I see different um, CEOs or presidents promoted, the three typical lines is, is a commercial person will take the reins or a, someone from the finance group. Um, there's a lot of CFO pathways into a president or CEO, and then the other one's manufacturing. And you know the benefit, at least that I feel I bring to the table from the manufacturing side is really understanding the end-to-end business through the manufacturing part of what we do So, from our business health standpoint, um, one of the things that we've been talking about recently, as as I've as I've been learning about the commercial side, and and um, really relying on on my really my senior vice president of sales and my um, product technology and development people, what what I'm helping to bring to the table is really raising the level of awareness of financial health across the business because the the idea of contribution margin versus gross margin, for example, of when when our salespeople are out in the market for them to be aware of and have an understanding of the impact to the business um, on on what are we doing with the factory, not just, hey, let me go try to get the biggest margin here for a commission rate, but how do we how do I sell and what do I sell? And what does that do to that the organizational health as a whole? I think that's a, that's a big topic that we've been talking about internally.
0: Yeah, and and it's uh, what's what's really interesting is that you know you you've, you're touching on this idea of health before growth, uh, which is something it's the theme that uh, I know that Ed and I believe strongly in, right? This idea that you want to achieve healthy growth, and um, so <laughs> one of your jobs it sounded like sounds like when you took over the the reins was to <clears throat> was to uh, kind of put the brakes on a little bit, not on growth, but on in terms of the um, the motivators right, the incentives for the sales organization and adding a little bit of sophistication to the way they think about how they go to market, which maybe in the short term seems like a limitation. But when you think about contribution margin versus operating margin, it really now makes it profitable to sell a wider range of products and services and actually allows you to serve more opportunities and really serves to open up the market in the mind of that salesperson.
2: Yeah, that's right. And we all know that incentives drive behaviors, right? That's what we put incentives in place for. And the, the, the traditional gross margin basis for commission payment can drive the behavior that, well, if I have an hour to spend, I'm going to go spend an hour trying to sell a product that it gives me the biggest gross margin because then I get a bigger commission. And I'm not going to, quote unquote, waste time on this lower margin product. Well, kind of opening people's eyes saying, wait a minute, that low margin gross margin product has a huge contribution margin because the number of um factory hours that absorbs uh for the business so gaining those sales are very important to our business as well as those other margins so yeah you're right it's it's raising people's level of awareness and it's good for our customers as well there's there's many customers that rely on us to be a one-stop shop so to speak so they come in and they're buying they're not just buying a door they're buying they might be buying three full height turnstiles and a platform and some um, gates and so they can come to us for multiple components that they need. And so our ability to keep those, that wide ranging product um, portfolio alive is, is important for us and for the customers. That's a, that's an interesting shift
1: too. You know, the, the contribution margin, cause you kind of talked about this. I know we talked about this when we all first spoke, but you talked about this in the beginning about the incentive drives behavior and trying to think through this of When you just sell one item high margin and it really gets the salesperson to think differently about it's you know there's gross margin percentage there's gross margin dollars and then there's volume of the dollars and when you start thinking about how often you know i could get thirty dollars a thousand times or i could get three thousand dollars several times so i think this whole this this theory of contribution margin not theory but the what you're theorizing right now in contribution margin driving some of the behaviors is if that universally understood by the commercial side of the business today? Or is that one of your challenges is educating on what this metric is, why it's there, how to figure it out. And, and then is that part of the journey?
2: It is definitely an educational journey and it, it, it is, it isn't naturally in our past uh, widely understood, but it's something that, you know, and I'm gate, I'm engaging our CFO. I'm engaging our senior vice president of sales, their partners in on this journey, and they're helping to spread that awareness and knowledge um, to our salespeople out there. And that's key. I mean, the more people understand how the business functions and how it functions well in a healthy way, the better decisions they're gonna make, the the more insight they're gonna have into the actions they're taking and the impact how it ripples through the organization. So it it definitely is a learning journey. I do think that it's common in a lot of uh, commercial groups. I think the more separation, we had a physical separation between commercial and manufacturing in the past, um, but you don't have to have that separate company set up, even companies that are are together, the more separation you have and, and the lack of communication and understanding of the entire business is going to drive, you know, Two groups that seemingly are well—they definitely are symbiotic. They have a <laughs> tied destiny. They should
1: should be, yeah. Right. They should, well. They are whether they realize that they're not. Yeah, right. But,
2: but the further apart they are, and, and the lack of understanding across that that gap, drives you to to make decisions and and put incentives and goals in front of people that, in a vacuum, sound good, but as a when you're looking end to end, can can be working against each other.
0: Yeah, and. uh, but I think at the end of the day, you know, from a sales perspective, right? Once they get it, hey, I mean, I mean, it would motivate the heck out of me, I'll tell you. I mean, uh, once you get it, once you understand it, um, you can go. And I, I think that, from from a leader's perspective, it sounds like the first challenge is the rethinking part, right? It's because I I know that, I know that um, before contribution margin came up as the answer, the problem was gross margin, which was actually causing challenges, um, and it wasn't obvious what the cause of those challenges was. So maybe you can talk a little bit about what's it like to lead a culture that's capable of, you know, taking a 150 year tradition or traditions, right? And examining them, rethinking them, and then actually coming up with a solution like this, you know, in advance of all the other challenges of communicating the solution.
2: The, the immediate thing that popped into my head when you were you were asking that question is I was just sitting here and sitting in gratefulness about um, my company because I know I'm a little bit uh, biased, but I honestly, I've, I've worked in uh, many different places. I was a consultant for about 17 years. So I've seen, you know, I've worked with over 100 companies in that time period. I've seen a lot of different business environments. And I can tell you that the culture of this company is one that, is going to make us able to achieve and like you said that that would be an enormous challenge even with a good culture but without a culture of people that are really bought in um we just did an employee survey we do it every year and and we just got the results of that and the highest ranked item was you know i feel very strongly that i want my company to succeed and it, i mean it was it was very the highest ranked item. And so everyone here wants success. Everyone here wants to see Boone and Dom be successful and everyone's bought in um, man, working with that kind of soil uh, you're going to grow good things. So I'm, I'm just thankful for the culture we have because we have really good people. Um, we have the kind of culture where people don't stand around and watch someone drown we're we're jumping in and pulling them up. Um, so making this kind of change in that environment is a lot easier because it's, we're reaching out saying, Hey, this is something that can make us all better. It's something we can all learn about. We can expand our understanding of, of how it, what, what it means to have a healthy business and how they function. And people are hungry and eager to learn. So,
1: yeah, that, that is. And I think you can, you can look at this a couple ways, right. And you can look at, you can say lucky, um, but that even being pleased in where things are, you know, there's still, I guess that puts a little bit of stress too, is like, you don't want you don't want to ruin a good thing, right? And you've got what, what James says, the longstanding tradition, you've got different ways that the company's operated, but still true to the values. And now how do you modernize selling and servicing and support and supply chain and all the other things that come along with the complexities of work that we're in? So I think it's 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 nice that you've got that to rely on to help carry you. And then the the other side of that is how do you keep the innovation going? How do you keep the consistency going? How do you keep the quality alive, the, the customer's happy. So in that breath of looking at the future, what are some of the things that are in your purview as you start to think about getting into that next milestone, whatever that milestone may be, what are some of the things that are on top of your head of that you got to think about for tomorrow?
2: So obviously with, if we're talking about contribution margin, what we're, what we're also looking at is pumping up volume because, because that's the beat, like we said, incentives drive behaviors and behavior for for, for incentivizing on gross margin is, hey, go sell at a high price. Incentivizing based on contribution margin is let's go sell a heck of a lot of product. In that aspect, when you're saying let's go sell a heck of a lot of product, it's really looking at the entire market and saying, where can we play a part? Where have we played a part in the past where, that we've seen erode a little bit? Where, what are sections of the market or sectors that we're, we haven't really gone after um, that, that are, should could be new territory for us? where are we already playing that we can change our approach to have a, a a bigger impact. So it is really, those are the things that are on my mind when you ask is when we, we go say, Hey, contribution margin, let's go sell. Those sales have to come from somewhere. So we have to look at the entire landscape out there and, and really investigate not only where we're playing today, but where are we not, but we could be.
0: Yeah. And that, that to me, there's a lot of implications there, but Patrick, it, it indicates to me, um the importance of your culture because you know thinking about volume and thinking about new markets uh thinking about the strategy required from a branding perspective marketing perspective um sales and service perspective uh customer success customer experience you're you're talking about you know stressing and activating all the uh, elements of that of the revenue organization or the commercial team to make that happen uh, so you've got to point your reps in the right place. You've got to support their customers. You know, give them the the the, the pricing structures, the uh, all the different handle all the different economics of how they're going to do their job. Make sure that they're uh, building great customer relationships over time. Uh, you you can't you can't make that shift. You can't drive that kind of growth without that culture. It just it's just super impressive to me. Um, but there must be. I, I wonder what challenges are on your mind. Even given the culture and given the things you guys do really well when it comes to thinking about how to expand or drive growth what are the things you think about what are the things that are priorities for you in terms of you know activating that for 2024
2: yeah part of the challenges and i'm thank you very much i mean it, you're leading me here uh, <laughs> because you mentioned the service and and when you say what are the challenges the challenges that it it's really rethinking everything we do and thinking how we go about it. Um, so it's not just one challenge of contribution margin, but it's also how do we serve the customer in the entire life cycle um, of our product? And it, so it's not just, hey, let's go get a sale. It's, w- we position ourselves um, and, and we've earned that position through our quality and and dedication to our customers, but we position ourselves as provider of the premier products in the market, the premier doors, the, we're not, we're not the, um, the cheap, uh, option and the, the lowest cost option. We we are the premier product, the one that you put in when you need a reliable product, that's going to be there and function for you for a long time to come. And if you think about when you buy a car, you know, and you never take it and change the oil, You could, you could buy a very expensive car and and the top of the line car. You're going to be very disappointed in a few years if you don't change the oil (laughs) because you're not taking care of it. Um, And, and our products are, are no different than that. So it's not only the sale, but it's also how do we make sure that we're helping the customer service this product so that they can get the lifespan that's potential, the potential out of this product. So it's not breaking down on them. It's functioning the way they need it to for many years to come. So it isn't just sales; it's also the service. It's it's being part of that entire lifespan uh, with the customer. Uh, so it's a challenge because that is thinking that we have to change in ourselves and our own minds across the company, and then drive that understanding with the customers as well and change the way they think in their mindset. Yeah.
0: Well, and I I love that the point you're making because when I and I'm, I'm I have a little bit of inside knowledge, right? Because we've worked together before, but when when a company is positioned as the premier provider that doesn't happen um that doesn't happen by accident right it happens because the company and the sales team in partnership with the manufacturing group they decide they want to be the premier provider and they go out and position it position the offering as the premier position and they don't let the market define them they define the market and so there's a and i think this is all connected to the survey you talked about how you know, the employees want and they even expect success. That seems like a byproduct of what you guys have just done for years and years here in the Americas, which is setting a high standard, establishing the expectation that you'll be the premier provider and then going to market and making it happen, you know, and, yeah. and to know and I'm not I'm not minimizing anyone by saying this, but largely because that sales team really does have the, they really do believe. And they go to market with a mindset that says we are the premier provider and we're not going to let folks define us. Uh, we're going to define who we are in the marketplace. And, and it seems to be working for you guys. And it seems to be something that's really enabled you to be um, agile as you now face this new challenge. Yeah. And in in it, when you
2: position yourself that way, what you're basically saying is it's it's more than just a sale. It's a relationship. Yeah. If you're going to buy a premier one, you expect different things. And, and the relationship, and I know if we invited four or five customers on and we asked them, why do you repeat customers? Why do you keep going back to Bonadam? I think one thing that would come up is no one's perfect, right? No one's pretending to be perfect. And no matter what business you have, things will go wrong sometimes. And one thing that sets us apart is when, when everyone can, can be happy when things are going smoothly, but when things don't go smoothly, when something goes wrong, we're all over it we're right there with the customer we're you know we're we're flying out and we're we're on site with them and and we walk through making sure that we resolve the issue whether it's our product or it's how it's integrating with another product or sometimes it's it's a it's the the cabling or system that has nothing to do with ours but but we're part of that ecosystem we're going to be there with that customer and and so how we handle our business when things don't go smoothly i think plays a big part in people accepting that
1: that's who we are in the market and they keep coming back to us. And this is something you, you touched on this, talking about service, that's really near and dear to me. I, I got started in my professional career in the outsourced contact center space and service was everything for, for a couple clients we served. And the challenge is like, especially with your product is at some point, the 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 company expects it just to work. Right. Mm-hmm. And then when it that's doesn't right. work, it's usually like an oh crap moment. It's not like a, oh, we'll get to it when we can. You just, so, you know, when you start to think about service, how do you, you can, you can't really sell that service until someone has experienced, whether it's your company or not, an issue where that, like, I just expect the door to work. And if it doesn't, then I'm in, oh crap mode, like customers can't come in or people can't come in or security personnel can't come in or whatever the case may be. And what's the plan B and until you as a company can work through that, be, you know, respond, Fix it. You know, resolution is important. Now you've demonstrated that level of service, and that's really hard to sell. That's really hard yes. to talk about on the front end, um, unless again somebody's experienced a bad situation. So I think that's another part of your world too that you have to constantly be thinking. It's not just selling a product; is you got to be there after that, and you got to be. It's an experience. Whether it's, right. Yeah, it's a total experience, and especially a large capital expenditure too. So they come to expect a little bit more, like you said. Of this isn't just a, a product and we 're just not going to ship it and and that's it be done um I think mean, this is the big part of it especially dealing with equipment like that yeah right so good call out yeah.
0: well and Ed you know to, to extend that point you know usually it's the premier provider that folks seek to solve big problems you know so the impact that a revolving door that's, that's protecting a data center that you know is managing um, a billion you know credit card numbers or phone numbers or something I mean so, so yeah, if you're, if you're positioning yourself as a provider, you're going to get the toughest <laughs> jobs and you're going to be set to the highest standards. So yeah, you've got to, you've got to show up. You yeah. Know, awesome. Agreed.
1: All right. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll kind of move into the closing, Patrick. I want to, you, you've got a great amount of experience doing some different things in this company and seeing it from a few different lenses. Um, you know, I, I'm curious to kind of see throughout your, your history and experience here, what's a recommendation or something that you can give some advice to the people listening out there of, you know, how to not stay, how to not stay comfortable, how to not be complacent and how to kind of keep challenging yourself to make sure that what works yesterday doesn't always work today or tomorrow. What's that one piece of advice if, if you could give that of how to not stay stagnant.
2: So I have two foundational beliefs that, uh, are unshakable and they show up every single day in examples um, that I would pass on. And the first one is that an organization is a reflection of its leadership. So it's it's a difficult pill to swallow. If you truly understand the saying, it's a, it's a nice poster to put on the wall, but if you truly understand what it means. What that means is if there's any part of your business that isn't as it you think it should be, if there's a team that isn't functioning properly, if there's a process that doesn't work well, if you're, the market and the sales process isn't happening and, and you're not getting the results you want, the first place you have to look is in the mirror. And you have to say, what am I doing that's creating this or what am I not doing that's allowing this to happen? It's a very difficult pill to swallow. It's much safer to point at external causes for whatever situation you're fa- you're facing that isn't going well. It's much more comfortable to say there's reasons outside of me for that. But when you really accept that, you, the keys to your success open up because then you say, I have to challenge how I think, how I understand this problem, how I'm looking at this, how my team is, is reacting and acting and our expectations. And, and then you can really be powerful. So that's the first piece of advice I would have is that belief of just always remembering. And and like you said, it keeps you fresh because you have to constantly look in the mirror. Mm -hmm. What am I doing? Where are we going? Um, And then the second piece of advice, it's not really about staying fresh, but it's more about success is remembering that I don't care what business you're in, uh, any industry you're in, uh, an, an organization's only lasting competitive advantage is it's people. So if you wanna be the best, your people have to do their job better than everyone else. And it doesn't matter if they're a cost accountant or they're a salesperson or they're a welder you know, across the entire organization, everyone has to do their job better than everyone, anyone else in any other company. And if you focus on your people and giving them the knowledge and skills and building their understanding of the business, that comes back um, tenfold. So those are, those would be the two things that I try to focus on and I would pass on.
0: And it sounds like they're really well connected, right? Yeah. Uh, Yes. The organization reflection of the leader and leaders and the only lasting, sustaining value of an organization is in its people. Um, So you really can't be a leader, especially in your organization, if you don't care about your people. Absolutely. That's uh, profound. It's a great way to wrap today. Um, Thanks, Ed. And. Patrick. Um, awesome to have you here. Um, we're going to come up with some more ideas about other topics we can discuss so we can have you back. And Next you... time with
2: some bourbon. Yes, in person. We'll do it in person. And, in person if, and, I, if, and uh... hey, if
1: I could suggest, maybe a target you guys go after is bourbon, whiskey distilleries, cigar lounges. We can maybe make an appointment for you while we're there. <laughs> we definitely make I like good. that. <laughs> we can I like it.
0: it. Uh, Yeah. So Patrick uh, Nora, president of Boone and I know I've mispronounced that, but uh, that's the way I'm used to saying it uh, (laughs) here in the Americas. And Patrick, I mean, after listening to you, I want to apply for work uh, at your company. But if there's anyone listening who's really been inspired by you, um, where do they go to find you, find the company?
2: Yeah. So it it would be B-O-O-N. E D a M.com. And then you can get into, you can see our global site. You can go into the the specific U S site and directly from there, we have job opportunities listed. We are hiring. So, uh, we -hmm. welcome everyone who is, uh, has a good, uh, humble, hungry, and, and smart mindset. So
0: awesome. Thank you. Patrick. All right. Thank you, you,
2: James. Yeah.
1: Thank you for your time. Uh, James is always good to see you. Good to chat with you, Patrick. Appreciate the past couple conversations. So the listeners, thanks for tuning in and we will be back with another one shortly. Thank you.